Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Leviticus. That's right, you heard me, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Next week we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16. I'm so thankful for the opportunity this morning to be able to, to preach to you all, calling this kind of two-week series the Gospel According to Leviticus. So why Leviticus? Out of the other 65 books of the Bible, why Leviticus? Well, let me start with a personal story. Summer of 2003, I'm an intern for the Baptist General Convention of Texas, the Youth Evangelism Department up in Dallas, and I spent most of my days uh, when I was in Dallas in a warehouse, packing up boxes, putting them on a, on a flatbed truck, and then sending them to ETBU and Hardin-Simmons and UMHB for Super Summer, which is awesome. And then I got to go and participate in the Super Summer camps. It was incredible. But I, I'm not from Dallas. Like, I'd never been to Dallas until my parents and I went up there trying to find an apartment. So we found like a 700-square-foot apartment that would let me have a three-month lease. I had a chair... I had a air mattress and like a plate. That's all I had, right? I'm a 19-year-old, uh, uh, going to be a sophomore in college. And so I'd go to the warehouse. I'd work the 8 to 5. I would come home. And then what do I do? I don't have TV. A cell phone at that point was a cell phone and not a TV. And so I did a couple things. I read uh, my second ever John Piper book, The Pleasures of God. blew my mind. It was awesome. But for some reason, God worked in me to begin to study the book of Leviticus. I said, okay, let's do it. So I had this single volume commentary that was about that big. But you know, it's a single volume commentary, so Leviticus was like that big on it. So I simply began, each night, I just, I just began to open the Word and look at each chapter of Leviticus and begin to just study it and read it and, and take the commentary and explain some things to me. And man, my eyes were open to just the beautiful realities of how Jesus is in Leviticus and that the Gospel is in Leviticus. And so maybe a personal story isn't good enough for you. Like, hey man, Les, that's good for you. You're a preacher. I'm not. Well, your 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And so Paul, when he's saying that, he's not just talking about just what Paul writes. Paul's talking about the Old Testament. It is God-breathed. It is inspired. And so the book of Leviticus is equal to uh, the Gospels. Or the book of Leviticus is equal to Romans. That the book of Leviticus is inspired by our holy and awesome God. And so therefore, it is important. Maybe Paul's not good enough for you. Maybe we need to listen to what Jesus says here. Remember the two guys, Jesus, after the resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus, about seven and a half mile journey, and Jesus is just talking with them, and they're like, man, you haven't heard about this Jesus guy and what all's gone on in Jerusalem and all this stuff. And Luke 24, 27 says this, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Moses being the first five books, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so why Leviticus? Because Leviticus points to Jesus. Why Leviticus? Because it is the gospel. Why Leviticus? Because it is the inspired word of God that is useful for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness. And so there's a couple things we see in Leviticus. That the laws that Leviticus has, because some of you probably when you heard we're going to Leviticus, like, oh man, like what one student did to me. She's like, man, it's just a bunch of laws. It is. But you see, the laws reflect the values and the morals of the lawgiver. 
that the laws reflect the values and the morals of the lawgiver. And so we see in Leviticus God's presence among his people, that God has this value to be among his people. We see God's holiness reflected in the laws and what he calls Israel to be and what he calls his people to be holy. So we see that holiness is important to God. We see sacrifice or worship, that the worship of the one true God, that there is no other gods, right? That we are only about Yahweh and Jesus, and we only want to worship Him and Him alone. No other gods before me, as the Ten Commandments say. So we see the sacrifice and the worship of one God is important and valuable. But we also see the care for the poor. We see the care for the widow, the care for the orphan, and the care for the immigrant. All in Leviticus. We see things that are valuable to God in the book of Leviticus. And so Israel is called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in Exodus 19. And so therefore, if they're going to be a kingdom of priests for the great high priest in Jesus, they're going to have to reflect and live out the values and the morals that their great high priest has. And in the New Testament, Christians likewise are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we see Leviticus, the laws reflect the values of the ultimate and the final lawgiver. We have a core value here at First Baptist Belton that we want to prioritize the Bible. That we take the Bible seriously. That we want to prioritize the Bible above all things that the Bible is important to us. And so why Leviticus? Because we desire all of the Bible, not just the New Testament, not just the Psalms or some of the things in the Old Testament, but all of the Bible because you see, all of the Bible is about God. All of the Bible is about Jesus. And there's this thing that's been going through our culture for a while that we think that this Bible is about you and I. The Bible is not about you. The Bible never has been about you. The Bible is for you, but the Bible is about God. It is about Jesus. It is about his plan for the world, his redemption. It is about Jesus. And so Leviticus is about Jesus. And so therefore, that's why Leviticus the gospel according to Leviticus. It's great. So, first seven chapters of Leviticus speak of five different offerings or five different sacrifices. The first three offerings you would offer freely or you would offer voluntarily. They weren't required. And, and this is the burnt offering, which we will talk about today. The, the grain offering and the, and the peace or the fellowship offering. Those are the first three offerings. And they would be offered freely by the worshiper. They'd be offered voluntarily by, by the worshiper. But then you had two others. You had the sin offering and you had the guilt offering. And these were required. These were required. The burnt offering, which we'll talk about today, is the most frequent offering that we see in our Bibles. That the burnt offering is the offering that was offered the most and the most frequently. And that's uh, why we're going to look at it today. Now I got a graphic for you. We'll throw that graphic up there, kind of remind you a little bit of your Old Testament history. Israel's in the wilderness at this time. At the end of Exodus, or in Exodus, God had given the instructions to uh, build this, this tent of meeting or this tabernacle. Okay, and so you see there, if you, you see we got a little north, south, east, and west. That's key. Pay attention to that. But you would enter from the east, and you had your altar there. Then you had your water, the basin that you washed in. And then you had your actual little kind of tent of meeting there. And you see it was divided into two places. You have your most holy place. On the north side, you had the table of bread. On the south side, you had your golden lampstand. And you had the altar of incense. 
priests would go in there and they would offer this bread daily and they would uh, light the incense and, and, and the candles and, and keep all that going. Then you see a little squiggly line, that's the veil. And inside that veil is the Ark of the Covenant and a couple other things. And that was the most holy place. And we're going to talk about that next week. But so when you would bring your burnt offering, you had to bring it here and you had the altar and you had the basin and the, and the priest and the worshiper had certain things that they would have to do to bring these offerings, to bring their worship unto the Lord. So there was a process. But the burnt offering, it has two purposes. The burnt offering has two purposes. The first purpose of the burnt offering is to make atonement. To make atonement, to, to bring the cleansing, to, to bring the appeasing of the wrath of God to the worshiper. And the second purpose was to emphasize the prayers or the praises of the people. This is the voluntary aspect of it. That God has done something great in the life of the Israelite. So they're going to bring their burnt offering to emphasize just their, their prayers and to emphasize their praying to the Lord. We see Noah. Noah, after the water subsides, the first thing Noah does when he gets off of the ark, he offers a burnt offering unto the Lord as praise for the delivering of he and his family. 1 Samuel 7, Samuel offers a burnt offering as a prayer because of the victory that comes to Israel. And so we see that the burnt offering is one, to make atonement, and two, to emphasize prayers and praise of the people. And so the goal today, here's what I want by the end of today, this is where I want to go by the end of today, I want you, that, that you will desire, that you will have this heartfelt desire to offer all of yourself daily as a living burnt offering to the Lord. That you will wake up and you will have this desire to offer yourself daily as a living burnt offering to the Lord. And some of you are going, hey, didn't Paul say that? That's right, in Romans 12, Paul talks about being a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So let's break this down. First purpose of the burnt offering is to make atonement. First little section first purpose of the burnt offering is to make atonement. So if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. We're going to stop right there. First point under this section is that God desires to be among His people. That God desires to be among His people. Notice it says the Lord called Moses. This is an important phrase because only two other times do we see the Lord calling Moses. And so anytime we see this as the Lord called Moses, it's important. Something's about to happen. The first time we see is the burning bush. That the Lord calls to Moses from the burning bush. And you know, that was an important part in Moses' life. The next time, Exodus 19, we see the Lord call to Moses from the mountain, from Mount Sinai where God's glory was. And if you know your Old Testament, you know Moses spent like 80, 100 days on Mount Sinai with the Lord because the Lord called them and said, come up here and he gives them the law and he gives them the instruction on how to build the tabernacle. And so we see that God desires to be among His people because at the end of Exodus, when the tabernacle has been built, it says the glory of the Lord consumes the tabernacle where no one could come into it. And so now the Lord is calling to Moses from the tent of meeting and He's going to give instruction to Moses and to Israel how they can now approach such a holy God. And so it says He called to Moses from the tent of meeting and He spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Don't, don't miss this. 
that God has always desired to be among His people. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we see God desiring to be among His people. Adam and Eve, what did God do? God comes down and He walks with them in the garden. God comes down and walks with them in the garden. In Exodus, He gives the instructions for the, for the temple and then God's glory comes and tabernacles or dwells among the, the people. We see in the book of Kings, the tabernacle gives way to the beautiful temple and God's glory resides in the temple in the most holy place above the Ark of the Covenant in between the cherubim. The presence of the Lord resides among the people. In the New Testament, y'all know this, in the New Testament, Jesus dwells or tabernacles among His people. Then after Jesus leaves, what does Jesus say? When I leave, it's for your benefit because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God Himself comes to dwell with His people in the individual believer. And y'all, we sang about it. When Jesus returns, oh, what a glorious day it's going to be because we get to be with Jesus forever. That God has always desired to be among His people. This is the gospel according to Leviticus that Emmanuel, God with us. Point number two is that God desires to be worshipped by all His people. That God desires to be worshipped by all His people. Now we're going to do some jumping around here in Leviticus 1, so stay with me. Look at verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Now look at verse 3. If his or her offering is a burnt offering from the herd, look at verse 10. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, look at verse 14. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds. Notice here it says, when any one of you brings an offering. Doesn't specify gender. Doesn't specify age. It says when any one of you brings an offering that God desires to be worshipped by all His people. I've got, I've got twin, almost three-year-old boys and I love it. One day all of a sudden I'll start singing, Jesus loves me. And they start doing the sign language to it. It's awesome. Jesus desires, God desires to be worshipped by all His people. And so for the individual Israelite, they are to bring their offering to worship Yahweh, the one true God. But notice how I pointed out to you, there was three classifications of offerings to bring for the burnt offering. You had, you could bring one from, from the herd. Now all these had to be males. Had to be a bull from the herd. Or it could be from the flock which the majority of the Israelites would bring something from the flock, a sheep or a goat. Or it could be a bird, a turtle dove or a pigeon. So what's up with that? Why, why are these three different levels? Well, this represents the three different socioeconomic levels within Israel. For those that were, were, were blessed enough to have a bull, those who were blessed enough to have maybe even a couple of bulls, the requirement of them is to bring their best. But maybe you were middle class, you're middle class Israelite, and you needed, you didn't have a bull, but man, you had a lot of sheep or goats, you would bring that. Maybe you didn't have any of that. So you'd have to go out and you'd have to trap a pigeon or a turtle. But we see here that God desires to be worshipped by all His people, that God is not the God of the rich. God is the God of all people who will call upon His name and put their faith in Him. And so God desires to be worshipped by everybody. So church, if no one around you is worshipping, you worship. 
If your kids don't worship, you worship. Kids, if your parents don't worship, you worship. If your spouse doesn't worship, you worship. If, if the music isn't how you like it, you still worship. If the music is how you like it, then you worship. That God desires to be worshipped by all His people. Because as Gary said, the preaching is going to be done, but the singing is going to continue in heaven. So God desires to be worshipped by all His people. But you see, here's a problem. Here's a problem. And I hope you know this about yourself. That, that you, here's, here's the question. How can an unholy, unclean, impure people come near and worship a holy, holy, holy God? How can you, a wretched, dirty, rotten sinner, and yes you are, approach such a holy and pure and immaculate God? How is that possible? How, how can the God of heaven come and actually dwell among a, a, just a wretched people that will rebel against Him and turn their back on Him and go after other gods? How, how is that even possible? Well, that's the third point. Is that God desires to make atonement. That God desires to make atonement. He desires to make a way. Remember the first purpose of the burnt offering is to make atonement? That God knows that His people need some cleansing. God knows that His people need atonement, so He's going to make a way for that. Look at verse 3. If His offering is a burnt offering from the herd, He shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that He may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay His hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And so we see God provides a way for the sinner to be made holy. God provides a way for the wretch to be made clean. And this is in atonement. And we will talk more about this next week. But atonement such a beautiful thing. Here is a very succinct definition of atonement. A very succinct, succinct definition of atonement. Wrath appeased, purification applied. Wrath appeased, purification applied. So what this means is that the wrath of God has to be satisfied. That there is this holy, righteous wrath towards sin. And if sinful people are going to approach a holy God, they, that wrath must be satisfied. So God is going to provide a way through a substitute, through an animal, to take the wrath for the blood to be shed, for death, for wrath to be appeased. But that's also not enough. You've got to be clean or you've got to be holy to approach a holy God. So then not only has the wrath been appeased, but now God is going to apply His holiness to the worshiper. And so we now have the worshiper comes, God's wrath who rests on them now rests on the substitute, and God's holiness now rests on the person. So therefore, atonement has been made, and a person, a holy, or a, a person who was unclean is now made clean. A person who was not holy is now holy, and they can approach a holy God. It's propitiation and expiation, if you're curious if I have a seminary degree. So say with me, say wrath appeased. Let's do that again. I know we don't do this. We're Baptists, but we, we be a little talk back here. Say wrath appeased. Purification applied. 
All right, you got a week to practice it because we're going to say it a whole lot next week. But that is atonement. Look what it says in verse 4. Look what it says in verse 4. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. What's up with that? He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. Now, uh, when I first read this, you know, we lay our hands on, on people and they get ordained and you kind of lay your hands on, on the head of that person. The Hebrew, that word lay, is like laying on, leaning on. Oh, about push that over. Resting on. Like putting all your weight upon. Showing your dependence upon something. And so the worshiper comes, they lay their hands on the head of this animal, showing that I now depend on you to satisfy the wrath of God in my place. I now depend on you to take my place, that I'm transferring my sins onto you. You are my substitute. And when your blood is shed, it's as if my blood was shed so that I can continue to live because you died. And so we see the sins are, are transferred onto the head of this animal and the animal becomes the substitute. Now look at verse 5. It says, Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. Now this isn't the priest. This is the worshiper. The worshiper is to kill the bull or the sheep or the goats. Notice that. Get, can you imagine if you're an ancient Israelite and you brought your best animal and then you had to kill it yourself? How that would begin to preach the gospel to you. That God made a way that you could be clean. That God made a way that you could be atoned. That God made a way that you can approach a holy God because God desires to make atonement. And this is the gospel according to Leviticus. This foreshadows Jesus. That Jesus was holy and perfect and without blemish. That Jesus died in your place. That Jesus was your substitute for your sins. That Jesus ransomed you from the wrath of God. That Jesus purified you from the stain of sin. That God the Father killed God the Son to make atonement for you. That God solved our problem. That God came and now we can approach a holy God because God made a way. He solved it. So now that we can bring our offerings, we can bring our prayers, we can bring our praise to Him. If atonement is not made, you cannot offer prayers. And you cannot offer praise. And so that's the first purpose of the burnt offering is to make atonement for the worshiper. But the second purpose... The second purpose of the burnt offering is to emphasize your prayers and to emphasize your praise. That maybe there's some desperate times and so you, you bring your burnt offering before the Lord going, God, I've, I've prayed to you and I've prayed to you, but now God, I'm bringing the sacrifice freely to you because it is desperate. I'm in a desperate situation and so I'm leveling up, if you will, and I'm emphasizing my prayers. But God, you've been so awesome and, and you've been so great and you're just a good God and I just want to emphasize and I, and I want to show how awesome and, and how great you are. So God, I'm bringing my offering to you. I'm bringing this burnt offering to emphasize how great and how awesome you are. And that's the second purpose of the burnt offering. And so here's your application points for today. We'll spend the rest of the sermon talking about how to be a living burnt offering today. How to be a living burnt offering today. First point of how to be a living burnt offering today is you must offer your best to be a living burnt offering. That you must offer your best to be a living burnt offering. Look at verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, 
he shall offer a male without blemish. Look at verse 10. If his gift from a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. You must offer your best to be a living burnt offering. See, the burnt offering was the most costliest sacrifice out of the five different sacrifices that the Israelite could bring. The burnt offering was the most costliest sacrifice for two reasons. The first reason is that it was a male without blemish. It was the best animal. This was the best animal that the Israelite had. The best animal. Like, this is your money maker. If you're in 4-H and you wanted to go win the, the competition, this was the animal that you brought, that you put before the judges to say, this is the grand champion. This is the animal that if you were having a party, if you are having a party, I've gone to a lot of graduation parties here recently, if you are having a party, this is the animal you, you slaughter. This is the steak you want to eat. These are the lamb chops that you want to serve your guests. That this is the best offering this was the best animal that the israelite owned because you see worship that doesn't cost you something doesn't mean anything worship that doesn't cost you something doesn't mean anything that to worship god means to bring our best and so that means we're going to have to make sacrifices that means we're going to have to rearrange our schedules at time to bring our best unto the lord and this is another core value of First Baptist Belton, that we strive as a staff to put before you undistracted excellence. That in everything we do, we want it to be with excellence. That we want to bring our best, ultimately as worship to God, but in serving you all, in serving our ministries, and what we do, and how we plan, and how we, we pray, and all these things that we do. We want to bring our best, because in bringing our best to serve you all, we are actually bringing our best as worship unto the Lord, as Paul says. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And so we want to do things with excellence that remove all distractions, so that the glory of God and Jesus may be clearly seen. So there's a price to pay if you're going to be a living burnt offering. There's a price to pay. There's sacrifices that you're going to have to make if you're going to be a living burnt offering. So how are you doing at bringing your best when it comes to your tithe? How are you doing at, at loving your spouse? How are you doing at serving and giving of your time? Is, is all your time focused on yourself and, and what you want? Or are you serving other people? Are you serving your church? Because church, I'm getting tired of getting emails about how we need, we need volunteers in the stars ministries. I'm getting tired of emails about how we need volunteers in extended session. I'm getting tired of First Baptist Belt in the church of a thousand people on Sunday morning. We can't fulfill the simple serving roles in our church. Are we going to be a living burnt offering and serve and give our best? Or are we going to continue to be focused on ourselves? How are you doing at parenting your kids? Your kids get your best. I get it, man. I get it. It's hard. You go to work, you bust it, and you come home, and you've got to bust it for like three or four more hours. But are your kids getting your best? Because when you give your kids your best, you are a living burnt offering unto the Lord. How are you with interacting to others? How are you being an employee or a teammate? How are you being a roommate or a sibling? What blemishes... Do you need to get rid of that you can be this living burnt offering holy unto the Lord? Because you must offer your best to be a living burnt offering. And here's the gospel. You and I both know this. If you don't know this about me, you need to know this. I'm jacked up, awful, wretched sinner that falls short all the time. This is the gospel according to Leviticus that we have a Savior, Jesus, 
who brought His best and made atonement so that on our days when we don't bring our best, on our days when we fall short, atonement has been made. The wrath of God has been appeased. The purification of Jesus has been applied and we are still holy and we are still righteous and we are still loved by God. We are not any less loved by God that we are loved by God because God loves us and Jesus brought His best to cleanse us when we fall short and that's the gospel according to Leviticus. The first purpose of the burnt offering to make atonement and atonement has been made. The second way of how to live as a, as a living burnt offering, the second way is you must be obedient to be a living burnt offering. That you must be obedient to be a living burnt offering. This isn't obedient to the things that you like in Scripture. This is obedient to all of the Scripture. You see, obedience is something you choose to do. You don't just happen to be obedient. You don't just wake up one day and just happen to be uh, uh, righteous in all your actions. This is a conscious choice that you must do and the israelite didn't accidentally offer the best animal the israelite didn't accidentally show up at the tent of meeting to offer the burnt offering obedience is worship so when you go this week and you're obedient that is worship worship is obedience and this is another core value here at first baptist belton is that we want transforming discipleship that no matter if you're 85 or you're 5, that you're constantly being transformed in your discipleship and in your obedience to Jesus. That you're always following Him. You're in His Word. You are desiring to be this living burnt offering by being obedient to what Scripture says. And that you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Another thing Paul says, that you may be this living sacrifice and have this transforming discipleship. Now, let's read verses 3-9. through nine. My school teachers, especially my English teachers, y'all going to love this. Y'all all pay attention to the verbs. Pay attention to the verbs here in verses 3 through 9. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron and the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, uh, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Did you catch that? Did you see all those verbs? Did you see all those steps? You had to go find your best animal. You had to inspect it. You couldn't just bring any old animal. You had to go get your best animal. You had to inspect it. Then you had to bring your animal to the tent of meeting. Then you had to place your hands on the head of the animal. Then you had to take out your machete and you had to kill it. Then the priest had to throw the blood. And then the priest had to flay and, and, and cut the animal. Then the priest had to put the fire on the altar. And then they have to arrange the pieces on the altar. Then they have to wash the intestines and the legs. And then they have to burn all of it. And these are not suggestions for the Israelite. 
This isn't, hey man, if you got like a, a backed up line of people wanting to make burnt offerings, just like, hey, cut some corners. These weren't suggestions. This is what they are to do for the worship to be accepted to the Lord. They are to be obedient to all of these things. So to be a living burnt offering, you must be obedient. Did you notice there's a proper animal? There's a proper animal that they had to bring. There was a place, a proper place for the burnt offering. They must be obedient. So how is your obedience to the Lord? Is there something maybe that you're feeling the Lord is leading you to do? Is there something maybe the Lord has been pressing upon your heart to go do that maybe you've been walking in disobedience that you haven't said, man, yeah, yeah God, I've been feeling you telling me to go just knock on my neighbor's door and invite them to church or, or talk to uh, my barber or talk to the person I get coffee from or, or the waitress, whoever, where you go get your food. You, you may have been feeling the Lord say, man, just ask them how you can pray for them. Is there something maybe the Lord has been leading you to do that you have been obedient that you've been disobedient to. To be a living burnt offering, we must be obedient. Is there a sin? Is there a sin you need to confess? Is there, is there a sin you need to repent from? Is there a sin that you need to make known to somebody to help walk with you to battle that sin, to overcome that sin? Because to be a living burnt offering, we have got to be obedient and even obedient to the things of Scripture we don't like. And don't forget about the Gospel according to Leviticus. That you and I both know. There's going to be days when we're just not obedient. We're just going to have some bad days. But don't forget about the one who was obedient always. And his name is Jesus. That he was without sin. He was perfect. And every single sin and temptation that was thrown his way, he overcame. Matter of fact, he overwhelmingly conquered. That Jesus, when you and I have a bad day, we lift our eyes up to the cross and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you we're obedient and obedient to the point of death. And that is the gospel according to Leviticus. The third way at which you can be a living burnt offering, the third thing is you must offer all of yourself to be a living burnt offering. You must offer all of yourself to be a living burnt offering. Look at verse 9. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar. All of it on the altar. Look at verse 13. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. To be a living burnt offering, you must offer all of yourself. Now remember I said that the burnt offering was the costliest for two reasons. The first reason is because it was your best animal. The second reason is that nobody gets to eat any of it. That nobody gets to eat any of it. Of the five sacrifices that the Israelite could bring, this is the only sacrifice where neither the priest nor the worshiper gets to eat any part of it. That if you brought a grain offering, there was a part for the priest and a part for the worshiper. But when it came to the burnt offering, all of it is to be offered on the altar to the Lord. I mean, the best animal, the best meat, the best cut of meat that you want. And yet it's all offered unto the Lord. And so to be a living burnt offering, we are to offer all of ourselves. And this is another core value, sacrificial worship. That all of our lives will be cultivated from this posture of sincere and radical worship. 
that we are radical with our praying and radical with our serving and radical with our giving and radical with our obedience, that we offer all of our lives, that there is not a life, not a part of our life that is off limits to God because we desire to be a living burnt offering and have all of it offered on the altar. So what part are you holding back from God? What what part are you keeping for yourself that you weren't supposed to? What what do you need to put on the altar? What do you need to offer up to the Lord on the altar that you will be this living, burnt offering? And remember the gospel according to Leviticus, that there's going to be days when we don't offer all of ourselves. But I know someone who did offer all of himself, and his name is Jesus. He offered all of himself on the cross to make atonement, wrath of God appeased, purification of God applied. So when there are days when you realize, man, I didn't offer all of myself and you kind of have that regret at night, just pray in your heart to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for the cross. I wasn't the best living burnt offering I could be today, but God, thank you for the cross that you still love me, that you don't cast me off, that the cross is made away. And all the gospel of Leviticus is glorious. The fourth way, the fourth way that you must be a living burnt offering is that you must be a living burnt offering every day. That there are no days off here in being a living burnt offering. We're not going to turn there, but in, in Leviticus 6, in Leviticus 6, 6, it addresses how often the burnt offerings were to be offered. And the Lord tells the priests, He says, every morning, you are to make sure the fire is burning. Get that fire going. Don't let the fire go out on the altar and offer a burnt offering in the, in the morning. And then in the evening, at twilight, the sun is going down. He tells the priest, priest, you must offer another burnt offering. And so we see a burnt offering offered in the morning. We see a burnt offering offered in the evening. But yet priests worked around the clock. There were shifts of priests that worked around the clock. And God tells the priest, don't let the fire go out on the altar. That that fire on the altar, it would burn all the time. So that burnt offerings could always be accepted at the tent of meeting. So church... Don't let your fire go out. Every day, wake up to offer yourself as a living, burnt offering. Don't let the fire go out on your offering. And when you do, and when you do, realize that the offering of Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross, is sufficient today as it was years ago. That the sufficiency of the cross never goes out. It never runs out. It never dries up. His, his mercy is more. James says he gives grace upon grace. And we just had one of them days and you took that day off for whatever reason and you realized it. That there was one Jesus who never took a day off and that his sacrifice is sufficient today. And so you must be a living burnt offering every day. What's the result? What, what is the result of this? Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. The last kind of phrase of verse 9. It says, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Look at verse 13. A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Look at verse 17. A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That when you live your life as a living burnt offering, you are going to smell differently. 
Man, these two little boys that I have, they love making daddy smile. They love making daddy get down and, and play with them and laugh. And this is the idea as children of the Most High God that we want to bring a smile to our Father. That the way in which we live and the way in which we go has our Father. It's just this, this pleasing aroma unto the Lord that, that He smells and is like, oh, you are my, my son or my daughter. That is pleasing. And there's this smell that, 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 that gives off. See, see what I love about, about, about the Lord is that only something that is burnt can smell so good when it comes to Jesus. See, I love, I love to grill, right? I love to grill. I love to get out there. Got a new grill for Father's Day last year. I love to, to marinate the steak. And I love the first little part. You throw that thing down and it sizzles. And then you get that smell. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to eat this. Maybe some of you have been in a restaurant. And for the life of me, I don't understand why some of you go to restaurants, to Mexican restaurants, and all you order is quesadillas. But some of you do that. And you order quesadillas, and all of a sudden you hear that sizzle. You see that smoke, and then someone got fajitas. And all of a sudden you're like, why did I get quesadillas? I want that. Because there's this sizzle, and there's this smell that's inviting. That makes people want that. So church, how are we doing with our sizzle? How, how are we doing with our smell? Do you realize a hundred Baptist churches a month are closing their doors? That churches are dying. And I can't help but think it's because we've lost our sizzle and we've lost our smell. See, people drive past 317. They don't want to come in here. They want to go to Miller's where they can smell it. Church, how do we smell? We've lost it. Because see, so when we bicker and fight over to wear a mask or not wear a mask, we've lost our smell. When we look at $32 million building and say, that's impossible, we've lost our smell. Again, when we can't get volunteers and ministries, we've lost our smell. When we don't know how to engage the LGBT or the immigrant, legal or illegal, we have lost our smell. Church, we have got to do better. Because to be a living birth offering, we got to smell good. So church, we need to repent of some things. We need to look to Jesus and be thankful for His grace, thankful for His mercy, and desire to be this living, burnt offering that smells so good to where a world where people that are hooked on drugs will say, drugs don't satisfy, but Jesus does. To a world that says, man, I'm not going to be committed to this spouse, or I'm not going to be committed to this, will now say, man, I'm coming to the church because it smells so good that they will find their satisfaction in Jesus because they see a bunch of people who are satisfied and in love with a great and incredible God named Jesus. So church, let's do this. We all got to repent. And we can all do better. If you want to know how awful my testimony is, come, come take me to coffee. I'll be glad to share with you my awful and wretchedness. But oh, why am I so passionate? Because I've tasted my bitterness. But I've drank from the well of Jesus. So you may be here this morning and you're like, dang dude, I recognize I am a dirty, rotten sinner and I need Jesus. Today's your day. If you need Jesus today, we're about to stand and we're about to sing some music. You can come meet me right down here and you can just simply confess, man, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And we'll walk you through that. Some of us may need to take some time and, and examine our hearts and see where we're not living as a burnt offering and confess that. Maybe you decide to get on your face in church. That would be completely acceptable. And you simply confess and say, God, I have fallen short, but thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. So church, let's stand. Let's stand right now. We're about to sing. And if that's you, if you need Jesus, come meet me here. You need to take some time to pray. You pray. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer 
or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage. 